The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm Friday welcome to Squawbox. Let's give you your headlines. The Dow Jones Industrial Average plunges well over a thousand points into correction territory as fears over the global spread of coronavirus intensify, with the global stock set to post their worst week since the financial crisis. Asian stocks tumbling, whilst US futures point to a very difficult open again in the red, with Wall Street's volatility index, the VIX, uh, on track for its second biggest weekly jump in history. The dollar has its worst day against the euro in almost two years as money markets put pressure on the Fed, pricing at at least three rate cuts for 2020. Amid the sell-off, a massive buyout deal is forged. ThyssenKrupp agrees to sell its elevator unit to a private equity consortium led by Advent and Sinven, beating out rivals Blackstone and Kyler. Right, at this point, I'd normally say happy Friday, but I think a lot of you tend to be on the longer side of the market and you're having a really tough time of it as well. So let's just go into the exact detail on these markets. The Dow Jones has plunged over 1,000 points in the previous session as the major US indices had their worst single day point drop ever. Should I say that again? I've been in these markets 32 years. That was the worst single day point drop ever. This amid heightened coronavirus concerns. The S&P 500, the Dow and the Nasdaq all closed in correction territory. All the subsectors too. A global stock market set to post their worst week since the financial crisis. Well, let me take you to a close-up look at some of those U.S. markets as a result. And the levels, 25,766, where we have now wound to. And you mentioned that loss, the, the point drop, the biggest in history, 1,190. And it was quite a wild session. We saw the drops at the start and then a little bit of recovery where the, a lot of investors were sitting back saying, well, if we bounced off the lows and then we saw the decline right into the finish, which led to uh, this fairly hefty decline that we saw, 4.4% down for the market percentage drop. And you you can see across the board, very similar size declines. The markets, all of them now in correction territory. And that's quite extraordinary. We think about the highs that we saw in February. So the market very much coming back. What it now means over the course of the week for the Dow, we've now had a drop of 11 plus percent in terms of what we've got from the 52 week high. We're about 12.8 percent off that 52-week high in terms of stocks moving for the averages. It was Apple for the Dow having the most impact. It was Microsoft for the S&P and for the Nasdaq. Uh, let's uh, switch over to the longer term view. Yeah, let's take a look at the um, week to date, month to date and year to date on the Dow. They're all, all incredibly illuminating, especially when you have to consider literally in the last 10 sessions, we have seen record highs 
on all the major US indices. Now, I had two guests in a row yesterday on the show who told Karen and I the markets had dropped their complacency. I, I beg to differ slightly about the complacency. I think while things were contained in China, then there was a feeling that actually there would not be this spread in the rest of the world. Now, of course, there are concerns about economic activity in Europe, in Asia, in the Middle East, and of course, in the Americas as well. And that is leading to this next lead down uh, in the market as well. Um, who was doing the selling? And when I'm looking at these market moves, that is my absolutely key point. So the first question I ask is, was there selling? And Karen, from your looking at the volume, there was a lot of selling. There was a lot of two-way trade going on. Incredible. The volume figure it was, it was, was quite 12, extraordinary. 12 billion worth of shares exchanged. That is above the 50-day average of 6.4. A day earlier was roughly about 9 billion. So extraordinary levels. So right? my first question is answered. Who was selling? Well, there was a lot of selling in terms of there was a lot of activity. I.e., there wasn't just a seller strike or a buyer strike. There was good breadth and depth to the market. Now, when I say good, I'm not just talking about direction. I'm talking about the fact that we did see big movement based on large amounts of volume. The thing I will say is for every seller, there was ultimately a buyer, but that mechanism where you found out the market price was incredibly painful for those who felt they needed to sell. So again, let's go back to the question, who do we think was selling the market? Well, I would suggest for a start, it had to be a lot of those margin traders, a lot of the shorter term trade, a lot of people who basically bought on margin when the market goes up, you get what's called variation margin going into your account because you've had a day's profit. And then you perhaps increase your positions because you have a momentum trade going on. And this can carry on going. Some would call it a Ponzi. Others would say it's just a market mechanism. That can go on while the market goes up. When the market goes down, your variation margin needs to be topped up. You need to put more money from your cash account or from wherever you get your money into your trading account. And as the market goes down further, what happens also at the same time, as well as you having to put more variation margin in, the clearers of that stock as well want greater returns. Because as the VIX picks up, and Karen will be looking at that in a few moments' time as well, as the VIX, the volatility index picks up, basically people ask for more margin, greater requirement though. So you've got the double whammy. A, you're going down, plus your clearer is asking for more margin as well. Who else was in the market? Well, were the passives in the market? I, when you sell an ETF, of course you're selling a whole product, a whole suite of products, perhaps even you've got a synthetic ETF, so people are trying to sell various assets to offset the risk on that as well. And then, of course, you've got the high-frequency traders as well. You've got the black boxes. You've got the machines selling the market. I'll tell you who wasn't in the market, and this is very important. And dare I say it, this comes from uh, my point of view from a long, long time ago. There were no market makers. Now, what's a market maker? Well, it's a specialist to you in the United States. A specialist or a market maker is a proprietary trader, normally of an investment bank or a merchant bank, as it used to be back in the day as well, who would basically be there to pick up the phones or not. Sometimes, let's face it, they've not always had a great record, at whether it was the crash in 87, whether it was the East Asia crisis in 97, whether it was the dot-com bubble crashing in 2000, 2001, or whether it was more recently the GFC as well. They would pick up the phone and say, yes, I can absorb some of your liquidity at X, Y, and Z price. Because you don't have those automatic dampers anymore, because proprietary trading was seen as too damaging, they are not there necessarily to absorb some of the volume. That's just one small part of a very big story. Let's take a look at some of the individual moves on the technology side. Apple. Now, we've talked a lot about the supply side issues and perhaps the demand issues now coming out of China and elsewhere. The stock was trading 6.5% lower. Microsoft talked about concern uh, about a slower than expected pickup in certain parts of its operation. It was down 7.05% as well. Uh, and Intel, similar warnings about what is going on and what they can and can't do at the moment, down 6.4%. 
I've, uh, energy, this, this goes without saying. When I talk about correction, what do we say? T corrections 10%, bear market 20%. Mm -hmm. Well, you can add correction to bear market for energy because that's 30% lower for the underlying oil price as well. I was looking at the battle all day. I didn't step away from my, dare I say it, my CNBC app. I'm not here to sell it. But the fact of the matter is, it was trading extensively oil at around about 51 bucks. Uh, and then just was, t and then of course you've got WTI as well, but it was just giving up the ghost a little bit later on as well. Chevron down 4%. They've had their own concerns about staff in their London office as well. Uh, ExxonMobil down around about 6%, and Conoco down 7.9%. Quick look at the futures price. They've moved it to the center because when they put it on the little board, it's too far away from me. My little old eyes can't handle it. Here we go. Uh, the Dow Jones implied open another 600 points, give or take the change. Uh, S&P down 60. That is another leg down, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. When I got up hmm, about three hours ago. It was basically about about 250 down. Karen. I want to get into some of the triggers because this time yesterday when we were looking at futures, it was fears around a California resident who had contracted coronavirus that may have been community spread of the virus in the United States, which took on a whole new concept for markets that it had arrived in the United States and being able to track the disease has now simply disappeared for a lot of health authorities. And that's been one of the issues. What you then see has been a repricing of markets, risk off, and also expectations coming into the mix that there might be some action from the central bank. I want to take you to the VIX. Look at that spike. 42% high, 39 now the handle. You may recall where we were trading roughly at the low end 11, at the higher end about 20, but now we've shot right through those levels up to about 39. So this fear gauge uh, reacting and what you've got, the expectation around how US shares may act over the next 30 days, very much showing you that warning signal. But that said, how we had a lot of the panic already and that's been reflected in this trade. I want to show you treasuries because I mentioned the repricing around markets. Uh, the expectations now are simply around the Fed that we going to see action that this is going to be a very strong hit to economic growth similar to what investors were thinking about originally around the US China trade war potentially could be worse a lot of analysts are saying you should see some cushioning from the Fed maybe come March you might see a rate cut 50% chance of a 25 basis point cut now priced into markets we are traveling just above the 1% on the yield for the short end 1.04 where it has been compelling has been the ultra low levels we've seen on the 10 year 1.23 percent and we've got an inverted yield curve between the three-month t-bill and the 10-year the 30-year 1.73 is what we're watching so we have marched south on some of these trades and it's had a bit of an impact too finally on the dollar because the dollar has been an all-weather currency we've seen that strength and uh, particularly I want to take you to this trade where you've seen a reversal from about 110 in recent days to 108.85 as the yen finally shows its might at this point. Euro has also reclaimed a little bit of territory, bouncing up to the 110 handle. So there's been a little bit more appetite. I'm getting closer to 129 on sterling. So the real casualty has been a dollar. We've not said that for a long time. Let me take you to those uh, WTI Brent prices, the spot prices. Very weak, as you can see. We're hugging that 45 handle. We've been down about 14%, I believe, on the oil trade this week. Fairly dramatic drops uh, in context, given there's also been sizable falls from the start around coronavirus fears. We're just holding on to this 50 handle from Brent, 50.90 in the morning session. The drop 2.5%. And gold prices, 1688, one of the high levels we have seen in the last 24 hours. We've come off those levels. We've dropped about three quarters, 1%, but still above $1,600. The opening calls for Europe, the session, very closely watched. And look at this. 
Triple digit point day anticipated again on the back of what was another sharp sell off yesterday. The fifth negative session looks like it'll be six negative sessions in a row. Yesterday we were down 3.75% on the benchmark. For the overall benchmark index, we've been down 9% for the week. If you add these losses in, we will have simply probably lost about 10 odd percent by the uh, session if it plays out across the course of the Friday enormous trading day. Declines. There's no doubt about it. They're enormous declines. That is not me you know, getting hyperbolic about it. Uh, it's not me talking about panic. And I don't know if there is panic selling. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that. I haven't spoken to anyone and said I have panicked out of this market. What I do know, though, is the debate goes on between those who are saying there are many oversold signals in the market and those who are saying this could last a hell of a lot longer and it's different this time. Those in the latter camp uh, are overwhelming the market at the moment. But what is interesting, they're having this uh, intellectual debate, so to speak, as well. But those who think the market is oversold are not willing, it appears, to jump back in and back that with trading positions it's at like the moment. It's like a pendulum. As we started out the year, it felt like the market was overbought. It kept on rallying. It kept on reaching for fresh levels. And there wasn't any reason why. We'd had a lot of the news around a trade war. We'd, we'd had long since digested that. There seemed to be no reason for the increase that we're seeing in the market. So much like that, on the downside, we've got a lot of selling that's taking place. Is it rational? Maybe I not. Think those but people it's a little bit like to, the, the balance on the other side. I would say the people who like the market, the top of the market, had some very good and compelling reasons from their point of view as well. And as you say, it was a good intellectual debate as well about corporate earnings, about the US recovery, about the fact that the US hadn't fallen into recession territory, about the fact that the cycle potentially was going to be longer as well. All of those arguments were there. And I think they were valid for a debate point of view as well. But as you say, the world has been overwhelmed by one clear and present danger and that is concerning coronavirus. Right, with more on the markets in Asia, let's get to our colleague Emily who joins us from Hong Kong. Emily. Hi, good morning, you guys. And it is steep falls that we're seeing in the Asian markets on the back of those coronavirus outbreak fears. Uh, it was a correction for the U.S. markets, and that is a similar case uh, for many of our Asian markets today. If we could show the folks out there uh, what's happening in Japan, in Korea, in Australia, and Hong Kong, and Shanghai. All of the names I just gave are now in correction territory. The Shanghai Composites today uh, sitting down 2.8 percent, 2,907. Uh, the Shenzhen Composites uh, quite a bit weaker today as well. Uh, last done at 1,828. The Hong Kong markets already in correction even before today's losses, uh, pulling back something like 700 points. Uh, the Hang Seng Index, of course, last traded at 26,059. Looking at the Nikkei briefly, falling below 21. That is the first time since September the 5th. For the Kospi, falling through 2,000, also another low that not, we have not seen since September. For the Chinese markets, it'll be the worst month in May, uh, since May. That'll be 10 months uh, since uh, that we haven't seen these types of losses on those pandemic fears. This is the fact that we have new infections outside of China uh, growing at a faster pace than in mainland China on a, a single day. So that has got uh, the market definitely worried. Earlier today, I got a chance to sit down with Hong Kong's financial Secretary Paul Chan uh, on the back of his uh, latest budget, which he announced earlier this week. I started by asking him about these coronavirus outbreaks, the impact it's having on the markets and whether or not it's being overdone. This is what he had to say. The outbreak of the coronavirus uh, caught some, everybody by surprise, uh, initially in China. Uh, but now the situation in China seemed to have been contained. But somehow this got, spread. So uh, I think uh, going forward in terms of supply chain, in terms of uh, consumer spending, that may be affected. But in Hong Kong, uh, we have been trying very hard to fight this disease. Uh, 
uh, our economy has been hard hit. Uh, that's why the budget we roll out measures to try to help stimulate the economy and to help relieve the burden on our people. This week, you did release your budget, and one of the big headlines was 10,000 Hong Kong dollars in a cash handout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll take a few months for the applications to be ready and then the passing out of the money, but it'll be summer before the, the funds actually reach the Hong Kong permanent residents. Now, mm-hmm. there is a percentage of these 7 million eligible residents uh, that don't live in Hong Kong and won't mm-hmm. actually be spending to stimulate the economy here in Hong Kong. What do you say to those types of criticisms? How do you respond? Well, in the immigration department, when they maintain their record of Hong Kong uh, permanent identity card holders, they do not distinguish whether these people are living in Hong Kong or living overseas or living in neighboring cities in Guangdong uh, province. Uh, If we are going to institute uh, administrative measures to try to find out, um, to ask for, say, for example, address proof, Administratively, it is doable, but quite cubicle. Uh, that may have an impact on the timely implementation of this scheme and getting the money to the hands of people. So uh, that's why uh, this time long, uh, initially our thinking is that let's don't make such a distinction and encourage these people to come back to visit their friends and to spend their money there. And we have been uh, hearing the feedbacks from, uh, from our people, and this is something that perhaps uh, we may look further into it, but the initial thinking, and the, put it this way, the overriding objective is to implement the scheme as quickly and as simply as possible. Something like 180 billion Hong Kong dollars worth of stimulus being pumped into the economy. And a Paul Chan saying that that will help stimulate the GDP growth by 3%. I'll have more with uh, Paul Chan later on in the show here. Uh, but for now, send things back to you. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that, Emily. Right. And what we'll do is we'll keep uh, on the screen, if we can, I'll tell the producers, we're going to keep putting the US futures up for you as well, because I think that is definitely leading us away. Right. OK. Uh, the number of confirmed coronavirus cases has now topped 82,000, with countries outside of China now accounting for around three quarters of new infections. Nigeria has reported the first case in sub-Saharan Africa, whilst the number of confirmed cases in Iran, South Korea and Italy continues to rise. Um, let us move on and get straight to Valentin Marinov, who is head of G10FX Research at Credit Agricole. Valentin, what do you make of the market reaction to events? Well, it's a quite a violent uh, reaction to the events. We are seeing, we are seeing uh, quite a lot of uh, reduction in risk uh, positions. And I guess well, I could argue that some of that is uh, potentially rational, given that uh, the evidence of the economic impact of the uh, pandemic is still to be seen. It is the case that investors worry that uh, an escalation uh, of the disease may uh, ultimately trigger the next uh, global recession. So with that in mind, certainly worth uh, following what's happening and how uh, indeed the officials are going to respond to the uh, I would say very strong signal that the markets are sending. 
There was um, a lot of commentary I'm seeing now that markets and the attitude of people outside of China has been, was, and is complacent. Would you agree with that, or uh, would you say there's been a measured reaction? Well, central bankers in particular like to think of themselves as engineers that use all these uh, very quantitative models that can predict really how the economy is uh, evolving. And as it stands, uh, really, we don't really have data to feed into those models to really give us a number as to what what of an imp what impact will be from the coronavirus. It is the case, however, that but uh, by the sheer reaction of the markets, the uh, central banks, in particular the Fed, may be spurred up into action. Fact being that weaker stock markets, sell-off in the credit markets in the US, represent quite a uh, really tightening in the US financial conditions. And if that is left unchecked, ultimately, that could precipitate the next uh, downturn. I want to get into whether a recession is unavoidable, because if you look at the, the signaling function from the bond markets, we've got the inverted yield curve and it's widened out between the three-month T-bill. 1.43% yeah. is what you've got on that level versus the 10-year now at 1.24, roughly, uh, in session. So what is this telling us? Do we have a recession coming? Would an interest rate cut from central banks make any difference at this point? Well, uh, it's the case that, as I was saying, uh, uh, it is really what we know and what we uh, expect. I mean, it is a but risk. But this is in front of us. We're seeing it in China. You've got production closures. You've got a, uh, parts of the cities trying to return back to normal, but clearly yep, you've got yep. impacted business still. If that comes to Europe, same procedures in place if you yes. see the spread of a virus. And very different countries, you've got to say, can we already see it? You've got a, a slowdown in consumer behaviour. You might have a slowdown demand. You might have an impact around production, which is already, let's face it, struggling here in Europe. Yes, so, uh, yeah, it's the can, case. Can we uh, see the evidence before us without well, uh, our, put it into economic models? Our, our view is still that uh, the officials, both central banks and governments, have the tools to address uh, those particular risks. So, so there will be some fiscal stimulus. We already had the announcements in Germany or indeed uh, Italy. Uh, obviously, China is doing uh, what it uh, can there. Uh, I guess time will tell if that will be enough. What actually I think is paramount here is really to win uh, uh, back that confidence that the markets have seemingly lost in the officials' ability to, re to deal uh, with uh, that shock uh, to the system. Our view for the time being is that uh, we will be still dealing with a V-shaped uh, uh, type of uh, shock or indeed a fairly brisk recovery in coming quarters. Clearly, as the data starts arriving, you have the Chinese PMIs tomorrow and indeed uh, also on Monday, we will be better able to assess really the gravity of the situation. But I think that uh, a view for the time being is that the official response, okay. if needed, will be coming and that will be sufficient. OK, we're going to take a very short break. Safe to say the futures for the US markets are still looking precipitously down at the moment. Fair value being up 191 on the Dow, down five, 600 points, give or take the change. We'll be back after a short break. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
Sinkerbone pasted its strong four-year numbers, reporting a sharp rise in their profit of 1.4 billion euros from 397 million euros same time a year ago. The French construction materials company also increased its operating margin by 30 basis points to 8% for the year and said it was expecting like-for-like increase for 2020. Shrida N is the CFO of Sinkerbone, joins us now on the phone. Let me just ask you first up about the coronavirus. As markets take stock, you've got about 160, 180,000 employees globally and very widespread businesses across jurisdictions. What hit are you anticipating at this point? You know, in the first place, we had an excellent year of performance, uh, financial and as well as non-financial, in a very less uh, supportive environment in the second half. If you look at the numbers, the solid financial results of 50% jump in free cash flow, 11% jump in earning per share, and 30 basis point improvement in operating profit. So, you know, uh, it's we have three main things which we have worked on is a strong focus on cash during the year. Second, we are really transforming Sengabang uh, in many ways, and and which has helped us to deliver cost synergies, sales synergies, and also the divestments we did in a significant manner in 2019. And our differentiations and innovation, which we are doing, has actually helped us to perform much better than many of our peers. Coming to your question on coronavirus, yes, it's, 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 a, it's a very important topic. Let me first tell you that Sangaba employees are completely safe, and we are very happy about it because we took a lot of proactive steps. We have 42 sites in China, and 40 sites are already working. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.